Welcome to the Epicenter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Epicenter Church, visit epicenterchurch.com.au. Several years ago, our previous uh, lead pastor, uh, Damien Warren, for one of, the, uh, one of his Father's Day messages that he brought, he did a message on disciplining children. And I remember, yeah, you, you, you laugh, you chuckle. And I remember leaving that message, going home from church, and I said to Sage, I said, I don't know why he chose that subject to talk about on Father's Day. Now, three, four years later, I find myself in the same position where you guys are going to be walking home saying, why did he talk about that on Father's Day? Well, there could have been some planning issues went around in my head and didn't actually realize what September was or anything of the sort and, and forgot that Father's Day was starting and then started this and then outworked into what it is. So ultimately, we're talking about same-sex marriage on Father's Day. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm yet to discover what it is. Um, but needless to say, that someone will go home or someone will send me a text and say, why did you choose to talk about that on Father's Day? Truth is, I don't know. I was hoping there'd be some more questions that came through that would be more productive for Father's Day, but there wasn't. 90% of the questions that have come through for Q&A have been in relation to same-sex marriage, the vote, uh, etc. So everyone or every other person will have on their chair handout. I'm sorry that it's lengthy. It is 13 pages in length. My encouragement is that you read over it. It's basically my message and some. Like they won't, I won't go completely into that tonight because we haven't got three or four hours. But that's basically my message and a whole lot more in there, which is what it's not meant to do. Obviously, I'm putting forward my opinion as well as the opinion of this church. What I'm not wanting to do is tell you how to vote. But rather what I'm wanting to do is give everyone some resources to encourage everyone to think. Because my opinion is this, when we come to the opportunity to vote, whether yes, we should legalize same-sex marriage or no, we should not, I'd rather, I'd, I don't mind so much as to what people vote as much as they do it from an educated position. Where you have thought through it logically, you understand both sides of it, you've started it out for yourself and you've come to a rash decision. So if you haven't got a handout, there's several seats spare with handouts sitting there. If you both want a handout, just go ahead and grab one. Otherwise, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get on with it. Sound good? Fantastic. All right, God, I thank you, Jesus, first and foremost, that, that you are good, God. I thank you that you love fathers, Jesus, that you love and love to celebrate fathers, particularly on Father's Day, God. And Jesus, I thank you that you're a father, Jesus, that illustrates what it looks like to sacrifice for our children, to love on our children, Jesus. And I pray that us as fathers can do the same, God. And also, God, I want to pray that as we look at and tackle and, and talk about this difficult subject, Jesus, so we do it with humility and with grace and with love. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... So to start with, what I'm not talking about in regards to this, I am not at all addressing what the Bible has to say about it. Now, loosely, you'll see in my notes that there is a loose, I have gone down that direction, but for the most part, not, because my opinion is this is not a faith-based argument at all. 
Like I believe that faith has got a, a part to play in it, but I think that when you're talking to Christians that don't necessarily believe the Bible, the, the argument of just the Bible says so doesn't stand. So I'm not talking about what the Bible has to say about same-sex marriage. I'm not talking about whether it is morally right according to God's standards or our standards or the Bible's standards. I'm tackling it from a different um, train of thought, basically. But at the onset of this, I find this extremely challenging. This would have to be since being the lead pastor here for the last eight months and even being on staff all of the last couple of years, this is the most terrifying message I've ever had to bring because if there's fruit in the audience, I'm pretty sure someone will be throwing something at me at some point. But pushing that aside, it's difficult because this is a debate that affects real people. There's real people's emotions, feelings, thoughts involved in this, some of whom are my friends that I love, that I care for, that I connect with, that I socialize with, that I have coffee with, that I catch up with consistently. And for some people, this debate carries a lot of emotions and some of which are very hurtful, depending on how it's presented. So I look at this and I kind of struggle with the, with the whole debate as far as pushing aside all biblical thoughts or my position or what I think on marriage. When I take it from purely an emotional point of view, I really struggle with it. Because ultimately, what one of the arguments that gets thrown out is, who are you to say that I can't get married? So my understanding of marriage comes from the Bible. I have a, a, a biblical opinion on what marriage is and what marriage looks like. But it, it wasn't the Bible that told me to marry Sage. It was my heart that told me to marry Sage. I was in love with Sage and I wanted to marry Sage. It was my emotions. It was my feelings. I wanted to marry her because I wanted to make a lifelong commitment to this woman and stay with her for the rest of my life. And so that was the reason that I ultimately launched in and jumped into marriage. And we've got the same people that are saying the same things as far as same-sex couples saying, this is the desires of my heart that I love this person and I want to enter into a commitment with them. And so my, my feelings say I, I really struggle with that because I, if, if that's keeping someone from happiness, who am I to oppose? But then I take a step back again and I think, well, if, say, this was me making this decision, like that I was the one that ultimately had to make the decision of yes or no, how do I go about making those decisions? Well, I'd, I'd bring it a step back further and I'd look at all my decisions. I have plenty of emotional thoughts and perspectives on a, a lot of things. But just because I have emotions towards something doesn't mean that my emotions are always right. The moment that emotions lead us, as people, we've generally got or run into problems. Like, so when we talk about, about this as emotions, and I've got personal emotions and, and feelings attached to this, but I can't simply just allow emotions to paint my lens or tell me what to think, but rather all decisions should come, we should come at all decisions with emotions, but with logic, with thought out processes, with rash decision making. We should come at all issues, all decision-making from equally both sides of it, understanding each side equally, not being biased. So in order for, in, in this regard, regarding same-sex marriage, and we'll get into the questions in a second, that when we come to understanding, you can't say, I'm going to vote no without ever having to study why they want to vote yes. You can't argue something unless you equally understand the opposite point of view. So my encouragement with this 
regardless of what you think of this, regardless of what I say or what you think about I say, I encourage you to study it. If you've already studied this out but you've never studied the other side out, can I encourage you to study it out and then prayerfully consider that we do it from an educated point of view. So the questions are this. There's two questions uh, mainly that I'm rolling into this one. There's other questions relating to it that I'm not answering at all today. Are there any longer term consequences of redefining marriage? And what was the other one, please, Evan? Are there any reasons for keeping marriage between a man and a woman? I'm a little bit flattered that people would think that I could actually answer the second question. (laughs) You guys must have some kind of faith in me. That was meant to be a joke and no one's laughing. This concerns me at the start of this message. (laughs) Truth is this. Every action incurs a reaction. Every decision that I make will outwork in an action. If I choose to do this today, whatever it is, paint it in your own mind, whatever example you want to put there, it has consequences, whether good nor bad. When I chose to marry Sage, there was consequences to that. They've been all good. Yep. Yep, Sage said they're all good. They're doing well. So, like, there's, there's consequences to everything. And some things are good and some things are bad. So, when we come to this, my, my question that I'd ask every one of us, including myself, is if everything that we do or every action or choice that we make incurs a reaction to that of some description, what is the reaction to legalizing same-sex marriage? I think in order to, to break it down and actually answer the question properly, that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. What, what reactions could come out of this? And the truth is that either way you go, you vote no and parliament holds no, or we vote yes, and that gets upheld, there'll be consequences to that. It's, it's irrational and illogical, in my opinion, to think that changing something will incur no consequences. So to say that this is just a simple argument of voting yes or no to legalize or not same-sex marriage, in my opinion, is irrational because there's got to be a reaction to everything. You can't make a decision on something and then not have a follow-on of reactions. Now, the reactions could be beneficial. They could be great. They could be a blessing, but they could be the opposite as well. And the, the question is that I want you guys to put in your minds is what could the consequences be? And I'm going to run through um, some of what I believe they could be. And I believe, to start with, the best way to foretell the future is to look at history. Now, it's not a clear cut across the board that every time history will predict the future. But for a lot of the times, there's a lot we can learn when we go back into history and study out what has happened in the past and then project that into what could look like the future of some description. Some things that are in the past will always stay in the past, but... You'll notice when you start looking through the past as to some of the changes that we've made, they've all been in the name of and they've all been publicized as this. It's a progressive step forward. It is keeping up with the times. So if we roll back to the 1960s, some of you guys remember this. Everyone else will probably remember it from all the movies. We had the sexual revolution. I want to make a joke, but I'm not going to go there. And no one's wanting to laugh anyway, so I'm definitely not going to go there. But so in the sexual revolution, it basically did this. It said free love is the only love. Whatever makes you feel good is love. Through the sexual revolution, we had 
an increase of sex outside of marriage, of mothers having kids outside of marriage, of multiple partners, of, of doing what you want. And to be honest, there's been some great benefits come out of the sexual revolution. Uh, out of that era came the feminist movement. Now, that got a little bit extreme at some points, but it's, been, it's done a lot of good in liberating women and helping encourage men to stop oppressing women. There's been a lot of good come out of it, but there's a lot, been a lot of potential consequences have come out of it as well, and I'll roll into that in a little bit. In the late 1960s, I think it was 68 or 69, Australia's a little bit different, so I'm using America for this one, is we had abortion law come in. I say Australia is different because every state in Australia is different, though every state in Australia legalizes abortion. And then when you, when you roll into the um, 1970, 1975 in Australia, but 1970 in America, what came in then was called no-fault divorce. And so you've got all these steps that we've moved forward and it's been in the name of the next progressive step forward. The first was a sexual revolution, which said, do what you want, it's fine. The next one was abortion that said, it's a woman's body, she can do what she wants with that body and if she wants to get an abortion she can get an abortion controversial topic i absolutely know there's multiple points on it obviously we're not addressing it at all tonight but that was one of the other decisions that was made and then the other one was no fault divorce and if you go back and you start tracking history there's been a consequence for every single one of them now regardless of of people's personal opinions on sex outside of marriage sex before marriage multiple sexual partners regardless what happened prior to that was it wasn't deemed generally socially acceptable to have sex out of wedlock. And it definitely wasn't deemed acceptable to have a baby out of wedlock. And that's why you had this influx of, or specifically in that time, shotgun weddings of people getting married because they had, you know, got all jiggy and everything and, and um, then conceived a child. And so therefore, he basically was said to him is, you need to man up and own the consequences of what you've done. Obviously, we can all look at that and say, well, there was positives of that and there was great negatives of, of, for, of forcing shotgun weddings as well. But the truth is this. When you look at statistics, and you find the statistics if you do enough um, research in my 57 points or whatever there is in there, that you, 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 you'll find the survey that has shown how many kids are raised with just a mum now. And it's been increasing since the 1960s in an incredible uphill that direction so I can't think of the word that was avoiding me and ultimately we find ourselves now in a place where we've got a predominantly fatherless generation not always because fathers don't want to be there but sometimes circumstances but at the end of the day part of that sexual revolution said I can do what I want and has led to kids being raised without parents now kids can be raised with just not obviously without parents but with one parent Obviously, kids can be raised with just one parent and do quite well, relatively well. Statistics say they don't do as well generally, but there's there's degrees, there's differences. And so that's not meant to condemn any single parents or any single children or anything. And then the, the next one was abortion. So you've got the children suffering with the sexual revolution starting to be raised in, in a fatherless society. The next one we jump into is abortion. And you've got the same thing happening there. There's two people now that suffer, though. It's kids and then it's fathers. Well, it's mum's body, so she can do with it what she wants, but dad's opinion doesn't come into it. 
Even though it's her body, the child that's inside of her is just as much his as it is hers, but yet it's her decision on what she does, not his. His decision doesn't ever come into it. So now you've got two voices that are shut down. You've got dads and you've got the unborn child. And then the last one that we get into is no-fault divorce. So prior to this, you had to come up with a reason to get divorced. You couldn't just separate for 12 months and then go to a judge and basically have everything signed off. You actually had to prove fault. And it wasn't uncommon in prior to no-fault divorce for one partner to file for divorce and then at the hearing, the judge dismiss it because the other partner brings up evidence to say, no, I haven't done like anything wrong. There's no fault. They've argued their case well enough that the judge says, I don't see a reason you guys should get divorced. And then what he does, or generally what would happen then, was that that marital couple, that marriage was sent to marital counseling. And so society's idea was to protect the family unit, to, to create oneness. Since no-fault divorce has come in, the most common reasons for divorce are this. We can't communicate and we're growing apart. Which is ironic that they're the same two issues that every marriage faces. You've been married for long enough, you will struggle with communication. We obviously talked about it not too long ago in our marriage series. Communication was the number one thing all marriages struggle with. At all seasons and and different parts of marriage, you'll have issues and struggles with communication. But the idea is that we don't end it because we're struggling with communication. The idea is that we push through it and learn to communicate afresh. I think all marriages at some point find themselves growing apart as well. For a lot of people, that happens when the kids leave. You've discovered that, well, life kind of became about the kids. They've gone. I don't know who you are anymore. We grow, grew apart. It doesn't necessarily mean it's time to end. But it's time to rekindle again. So what no-fault no divorce did again was destroyed families. And ultimately, kids suffered again. And spouses that didn't want to get divorced, they suffered as well. And so we've got these steps that we've taken in the name of progress, in the name of moving forward, that have had some devastating effects. There's potentially been some great things that have come out of it, but there's been some absolutely devastating ones. And we're at the precipice now of doing the same thing again, of putting an argument forward that this is the next progressive step forward. Legalizing same-sex marriage, saying that everyone should be able to get married. And when you, straight away at the onslaught of the debate, there's several, Katy Perry just entered the room. No one is going to get that joke other than me either, so I apologize. But there's current, there's misconceptions surrounded this, and specifically surrounding their rights. Now, there's, there's several misconceptions. We'll just focus on this one predominantly. And the first is this, that they don't have the same tax benefits, workers' comp, employment benefits, social security benefits, medical benefits, or power of attorney. The truth is that in 2009, the Rudd government changed laws surrounding de, de facto relationships, giving them the same rights as every married couple. From the 1st of July 2009, changes were made to social security and family assistance legislation, meaning that all couples are recognized regardless of the gender of a partner. Same-sex couples now receive the same entitlements and are assessed the same way and have the same obligations as opposite-sex couples. 
There's no discrimination against their rights as, as far as what they have, what they're entitled to. It's exactly the same. The debate often comes up and says, well, in the case of death or making medical decisions, they don't have that right. Well, that's because you're talking about power of attorney. They don't have that right. Same-sex couples do not have the right of power of attorney automatically. But newsflash, neither do married people. Just because you're married does not give you power of attorney. That's something that you've actually got to get a judge to do or you've got to get a solicitor to do, however it has to come about. But just being married doesn't give you power of attorney. Same-sex couples are next of kin under a de facto relationship. So in the case of death or anything like that, they are still seen as next of kin. But if disputes come up between siblings or parents or family or anything, that's when issues come in, but just as much in a marriage. A marriage certificate doesn't mean you're entitled to everything. It doesn't even prove that you're married. It just proves that you once got married. My brother lost his wife two years ago in a car accident. He still had to prove that he was married or living as a married person when she died to receive benefits. Just because you've got a certificate doesn't mean you get anything. It just means that you once were entitled to something. You still have to prove something because you could be married and then be separated for two, three, four years, but you're still legally married. The next argument that gets thrown about is, is it's about equality. We want equality for all married people. Well, I think it's a kind of a good argument. I want equality as well. The issue is equality is not really the argument at all. If it were equality, it would be inclusion of everyone. So in the 2016 census, there were 33,714 same-sex couples. In the 2011 census, census, there were 33,700 couples. The amount of um, same-sex couples has grown by 14 couples in five years. But if you look at the statistics of Muslims, for instance, you'll see that I haven't got those statistics right in front of me, but by memory, it's about in the 2011 census, there was somewhere around the mid 400s, thousand. So I think there's about 450,000 Muslims. And then in the 2016 census, there is over 600,000 Muslims living in Australia. If it's about equality, then we need to take their voice because plenty of them have got an opinion on polygamy. So if it's truly about equality, then, and that's not the only group of people that believe in having multiple wives. There's plenty of other groups that believe that that should be allowed. There are plenty of other people that might just think that that should be allowed as well, regardless of religions. In, um, in America, you've got a thruple being advocated, the thruple being three people marrying. And this happened in Colombia. It was the first place to legalize a thruple, a three-person marriage. There were originally four people, but one died. The notes, everything's in there. They were originally four, one died, then now three. So if it's about equality, then we need to open up to that. In the Netherlands in 2003, two years after the legislation of same-sex marriage went through, one woman married herself. Bizarre. If it's equality, then we need to open up to that. A man in America filed to marry his laptop. Ludicrous? Yep. But if it's equality, then who's to say? And that's exactly what his lawyers argued. But this is marriage equality. He's got the right. He's got the equal right. It should be his 
That was their defense. Equality was their defense. Now, if you study it, you know that that was thrown out. But the, the question is this, where does it stop? If it's about equality, where does it stop? Where does it end? Where, where does it finish going? Um, I'm not meaning at all to be attacking of same-sex people. I have plenty of friends that are transgender. I have friends that are same-sex attracted. I'm not at all meaning to be attacking towards them or anything, but what I'm wanting to do is, in my opinion, putting to, forward to us a rash, logical argument. And one of those is, if it is about equality, then where does it stop and where does it end? Can we go to the, to the, to the video? Just before it plays, I've got a couple of videos I want to show you to, to, tonight. But just before it plays, this is extreme, okay? And this isn't necessarily exactly down the track of what we're talking about, but it borders on it enough and gives enough thought to where does it end. Play. First, we had transgender. Men who identify as women, women who identify as men, they are, they claim, the opposite gender of their birth gender because they feel they are trapped inside the wrong body. As a society, we accepted this. Then we got transracial. Rachel Dolezal, the white woman who pretended to be black and even led a chapter of the NAACP until she was exposed and thrown out, she claimed she wasn't pretending to be black. She is black because she feels black. She's a black woman trapped in a white woman's body. She's transracial, she says. As a society, we accepted this for the most part, except some liberals who claimed transracial is a thing, but Rachel Dolezal doesn't qualify because she's an imposter and a liar, and imposters and liars aren't entitled to their feelings or their identity. There's more. After transgender and transracial, we got transabled. Yeah, this one's really messed up. Physically healthy people who feel they should have been born disabled. A man in Great Britain cut off his arm because he felt like an amputee. A woman in North Carolina poured drain cleaner in her eyes because she felt blind. Transgender, transracial, transabled. Guess what's next? A grown man posting an ad on Craigslist wanting a nanny because he identifies as a baby. You can't make this stuff up. Ridiculous? Perhaps, but who's to say anymore if that's how he feels? If a man can be a woman because he feels like one, if a white person can be a black person because she feels like one, if a healthy person can mutilate herself because she feels disabled, if a grown man can be a baby because he feels infantiled, where does this end? Can a child be an adult because she feels like a grown-up? Can a teenager buy alcohol because he identifies as over 21 years of age? Can a grown man attend kindergarten because he identifies as a six-year-old girl? Can a child spend the day at doggy daycare instead of school because the child feels like a canine? If not, why not? If a kid can be transgender because he feels like a girl, who are we to tell a child he must attend school or obey his parents or refuse him a beer when he orders one? You can't have it both ways. If children have a right to parents providing for them, and a man identifies as a child because he feels he is a child trapped in an adult body, and if we're playing by these twisted, disordered, ridiculous rules where illusion and emotions trump objective truth, aren't we violating his rights by refusing him the love and care and financial support every child deserves? Just something for liberals to think about before they push the boundaries of identity politics past the point of no return. That'll do it there. Any very extreme, obviously very extreme view. And we're not facing that in Australia at this point at all. But what I'm wanting to present or what I'm wanting to throw out is that question, where does it end? If we're talking about changing the Marriage Act due to feelings, like I said at the start, I have feelings in relation to these people that I struggle with this and feel for them. But if it's all about feelings, where, where does it end? Where, where, the does, where the does it stop? And I know that's not talking specifically just about same-sex marriage, but ultimately what we've got happening 
relatively globally at the moment is that feelings trump, like she said, objective truth. That what you feel, how you feel, what you think is above all everything and trumps everything else. And so my question again comes back to this. If it is about equality, then where does it stop? If it's truly about equality, where does it stop? Where does the line get drawn? And the next one is this. Same-sex marriage has implications surrounding freedom of religion and freedom of speech. This point often gets thrown aside saying that this is irrelevant. This is not truth, that this is conspiracy theory and fear tactics. The problem with that, or my opinion is, the problem with that, that, it, that it's avoiding at least not taking, the problem with it is that it is at least avoiding and not taking into account what has taken place around the world in countries who have already legalized same-sex marriage. And we'll read a handful of them um, out in a, in a second, but which are all in your printout as well. But a couple of examples to start with from our own soil. The Mercury Hotel staff at Sydney Airport received telephone calls from same-sex marriage activists threatening violence if their bosses didn't cancel a meeting for pro-man, pro, for pro-man and woman marriage advocates. Well, that's kind of freedom of religion, but it could be freedom of speech as well because who's to say that they were faith-based people and they just didn't believe in the traditional marriage. The next one was Archbishop, and most of us remember this, Archbishop Julian spent six months tied up before the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Commission for distributing respectful material outlining Christian teaching on marriage. Now, for anyone that followed the story, we'll know that it got thrown out of court, but it took six months to have it thrown out of court. All in the name of, it was discrimination. What's getting attacked? What's going to be attacked? Freedom of religion and freedom of speech. And an argument that often gets posted by our politicians is, no, we've got it written in the Constitution that religious freedom is protected. So here's section 116. This is, a, this is a, in the, out of the Constitution in regards to religious freedom. The Commonwealth, that being Australia, all of Australia, not just Victoria, all of Australia. The Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion or for imposing any religious observance or for prohibiting the free exercise of any religion and no religious test will, shall be required as a qualification for any office or public trust under the commonwealth it does some good things it means that we cannot under a democracy under a free nation create a demand that you must follow this religion the commonwealth says that anyways the constitution at best loosely protects religious freedom at best Predominantly, it doesn't. What it does is it, it protects religions from having laws established that prohibit the free exercise of religion, but it doesn't protect religious freedom in general, meaning that you could be sued, put up on discrimination charges, sent to 70, sensitivity training, etc., for holding and presenting a religious brief contrary to what they think. Example would be this message. Could just be that very message. A useful snapshot or a useful way to determine how the courts do it. The high court has viewed it like this. As to the meaning of law, section 116 only prohibits the commonwealth from making a law prohibiting free exercise, free exercise establishing a religion, etc. It is not a freestanding right of an individual, but a limitation on the legislative power of the commonwealth parliament. One consequence of this is that the right to religious freedom cannot be asserted to protect an individual against actions 
by private individuals or organizations, nor does it create a positive obligation on the Commonwealth to take action to protect religious freedom. It simply prohibits prohibits the Commonwealth from enacting certain laws. And the, if you read the one that's just before that one, it actually it goes on and says it's actually only protects the Commonwealth, doesn't protect the states from doing it. So the Commonwealth, Australia in general, can't make any laws. Australia in general cannot come in and discriminate. But that does not stop Victoria or New South Wales or any other state enforcing legislation that inhibits, it shuts down religion. So the states could step in and say, religion's done. And it's written in the Constitution, and constitutionally we're allowed to do it. Constitutionally, we do not have a freedom of speech. There's nothing in a Constitution that protects a freedom of speech or a freedom of thought or a freedom of opinion. None of that's in the Constitution. The Constitution is relatively weak in regards to protecting that. While I've only listed just above of that, obviously a couple of incidents that happened in Australia, there's many more that, that you could look at. In light of equality, we can look at as what has happened around the world and perhaps have a look at what could happen here. Now, the ones that I read out, there's a whole lot more in those sheets. But just because this happened around the world, agreeable, it doesn't mean it's going to happen here. Just because it happened in other places doesn't mean it's going to happen in Australia. And that's a fair argument that people throw out. But my question would be here, if it's happened in predominantly every country that's done it, what's going to stop it from happening here? Specifically, if we have no laws or constitution to protect that. In 2008, President Barack Obama held a position, and I quote, he said, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, and I am not in favor of gay marriage, end quote. That same position caused Brendan Eich to lose his job as CEO of Mozilla Firefox. March 19, 2004, a court of appeal rules that homosexuals have the right to marry. Fair enough. And it goes on. And that traditional definition of marriage is discrimination and unjustified. Freedom of speech. Gone. September the 16th, 2004, the same day that an active judge, activist judge legalizes same-sex marriage, letters were sent to all, of six, all 600 marriage commissioners informing them that they must be prepared to reform the ceremony for homosexual partners or turn in their marriage licenses. This was a clear violation of their human rights, religious freedom, and freedom of conscience as guaranteed in Canada's character of rights and freedoms. In 2008, April 15, 2008, the Human Rights Tribunal orders an evangelical Christian ministry to cease using an employment contract which includes a morality statement in which staff promise they will not engage in immoral behavior including adultery, viewing or reading pornography, lying and homosexual relations. Christian Horizons is the one that gets put up on, on the charges, is an evangelical Christian ministry which provides care and residential services to developmentally disabled individuals. Furthermore, Christian Horizons is fined $23,000 plus for dismissing a woman who violated her terms of employment agreement by entering into a homosexual relationship after having signed the contract. The Human Rights Tribunal also orders Christian Horizons to subject all its staff to pro-gay indoctrination courses under the guise of ensuring compliance with human rights codes. June of 2008, a marriage commissioner is fined $2,500 by the Human Rights Tribunal for refusing to marry two men based on his Christian beliefs. In, in the UK, homosexual activists are lobbying to change the law, hoping that in the future churches will be forced to host gay civil partnership services or gay weddings. In Denmark, Denmark currently is for is 
I'm reading too fast, obviously. Denmark is forcing churches to perform same-sex marriages currently. As of, I think it was about a week ago, Family First in New Zealand, for those of you that don't know Family First is, it is a Christian-led political movement that is founded on Christian beliefs. As of, I think it's about a week ago or two weeks ago, something like that, have been deregistered as a charity as they promote the traditional views regarding marriage and the family unit that is in line with their Christian beliefs. Is it going to affect religious freedom? You better this. It has in every other country, so why wouldn't it here? Specifically with how our constitution is set up, it's not set up to protect it. Is it going to inhibit freedom of speech? Yeah, absolutely it will. It's already started if, you, if you've been watching the news, if you've been listening to Facebook. For those of you that aren't on Netflix and watch normal TV, which is probably not many people anymore, but you, you'll know that the, the Christian lobby put an advert on TV and had three mums telling their stories uh, and of why they're wanting to say no and what they're standing for. Um, one of the girls, they've all had it. They've all had personal attacks, but I'll just use one. So that's the one most fresh in my mind. I can't remember her name, but she's a pastor at the City Builders Church in Sale. Her and her husband's phone number was found and both put on Facebook. Since then, they've been getting death threats via text message, death threats from phone calls and death threats in the mail. The church has been threatened to be burnt down, etc., etc. That's freedom of speech. It can be their religious perspective, but it's still freedom of speech is being attacked. Uh, can we go to the next video, please? When you have your own government tell you that you don't have religious freedom, now that, that is very disheartening. Well, this is kind of a scary time. Our lives would be, you know, forever changed. I just did not anticipate that my career would end under such terms. No way would I have ever thought I would be in this position. I definitely understand freedom in a different way. freedoms and liberties in the United States of America in my life have proven uh, that a, a poor kid from an at-risk family, a single mom with six children on welfare and food stamps living in poverty, uh, with those freedoms can cause their dreams to come true. It doesn't generally feel like it's the middle of a hurricane. It's just God has put us here and he's equipped us to do everything that we need to do. I know it would be easier for some people to just close the doors and walk away, but that's not our purpose why we're where we are. God put us there for a reason. At the darkest hour, our church showed up and you know the family rallied around us, prayed for us, and um, that was a big thing for us. You really get to see the fullness of God when you stand up for his, his truth, his word. I suppose God's surprised me the most by his faithfulness and his promises. You know, you, you read those and you sort of say, yeah, right. But when it comes right down to it, his, his promises and what he says is true. I would stand inside the building and think, is this going to be over when God has placed us here? They, by one little ordinance, told us that we're no longer relevant. Our kids have seen that there's a real cost to serving the Lord. 
why would I as a business owner want to bring this on my company? If anything, I would want to stay as far away from that as possible. The very faith that caused me to get my job uh, ultimately has cost me my job. definitely understand freedom in a different way yeah before it was just sort of off here in a another world but when it happens to you and it will happen to you when they come to take that away it takes on a whole new meaning side of people that call and, and swear at you or whatever, they don't know me. So it gives me an opportunity to pray for people that I wouldn't know. Losing the business was very hard for me. I worked really hard to build it up. of freedom in the United States of America is changing right before our eyes. I believe that those very freedoms are at risk in our beloved United States of America today. Before all this went on, I felt like there was freedom, that we had all kinds of freedom. And going through this now, I definitely am seeing just a whole different world um, and feeling like definitely freedom especially religious freedom, is really, you know, at stake. Christ stood up for me. Do I think so much less of him that I wouldn't stand up for him? I can trust him and rely that God's doing what he's going to do. And if he has chosen to use us in part of that, it's quite an honor. affect freedom of speech? Yeah. Will it affect freedom of religion? Yeah. All the above points to the issue at hand that having a belief that is opposed to LGBTQI is deemed as hate speech regardless as to whether it is their religion or not. And historically what's happened throughout the world is anything that's been deemed or anything that has been opposite or opposed to their beliefs has been deemed as hate speech. So will it affect us here? My suggestion is, or my opinion is, that it would. Same-sex marriage has implications for children and education. This is the last one, so you can take a sigh of relief. <sighs> no one else did it. Um, it has implications for children and education. Whether you want to admit that or agree with that, it does. We are not going into safe schools now. I'm not talking about that. You can lead into that if you want in your own time, but I'm not taking it there today. Often again, just like for the freedom one, this is brought up and says that this is a completely different issue. 
that education and kids have, have nothing to do with, with um, the same-sex marriage transition and everything. But effectively, what same-sex marriage is advocating is that gender is to be removed from marriage. Because at the moment, it's gender that determines whether it's a marriage or not. It's nothing else. It is gender. If a man and woman turn up at the altar and they sign some documents to get sent off to birth, deaths and marriages and comes back as a marriage certificate, that's what determines it's a marriage. At the moment, it can't happen outside of two genders, two specific genders. And so at the moment, it is gender that determines whether it's a marriage or not. And you can't separate the two because it become, the problem becomes apparent the moment that you realize that when you remove gender from marriage, you also remove gender from education. You remove gender from the family unit. You remove gender from the family construct. And so what ends up happening, what's happened throughout the world is that the education system, the curriculum has to be changed because now some books are discrimination. Books that talk about mum and dad, not mum and mum and dad and dad. They've got, there's, there's issues there because now it is a form of hate speech. In March of 2009, parents faced court action for removing child from gay history lessons. One 41-year-old accountant or father said that Christian and Muslim parents had objected to the theme linked to gay, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender history month. He goes on and says, I didn't want my children to be learning about this. I wrote a letter to the chairman of the governors explaining that I, that I would be taking my children out of the school. And he wrote, wrote back saying that, they, that there was no other option. You have to have your kids in school regardless. If I'm faced with court action, he says, then I'll just explain that these were my views. It was also very difficult explaining to my nine and 10-year-old boys why they were being removed from school. And I also found it difficult to explain to them such topics as homosexual relations at such a young age. One story covered in a lesson was King and King, a fairy tale about a prince who turns down three princesses before falling in love with one of their brothers. Another book is Tango Makes Three, featuring two male penguins, Roy and Silo, who fall in love at a New York zoo. One school which launched a gay version launched a gay version of Romeo and Juliet called Romeo and Gillian, also to mark the alternative history month of or gay history. You can't separate it. Throughout the world it hasn't been separated yet. Um in January 2010, a Ministry of Education mandates a radical curriculum for grades 1 through to 8 that promotes homosexuality and masturbation as a normal as normal and teaches that some families have two mums or dads and suggests that a lesson for grade 7 in which students are encouraged to keep a spare condom handy just in case. A ministry representative says that this curriculum will be mandatory for Catholic and public schools, despite the fact that this clearly violates Catholic teaching, not to mention the religious values of many. You got freedom of religion, freedom of speech, education. In British Columbia, a parent who cannot be defined as either male nor female, because that would be discrimination, is now fighting to have gender removed from they birth certificate. Now, they's child's birth certificate. I say they because that's a pronoun that they want to be want to be used it's not he or she you can't it's not that it's not it it's not there it's that's the pronoun being used and so they are fighting to have their child's gender removed from the birth certificate 
because they want their child to grow up and determine what their gender is at whatever age that is and whenever they come to it. I know this sounds, sounds far, far out there and nuts and it's probably not going to happen or whatever it was, but the reality is not. What's off limits in a postmodern world that says truth is relative? That feelings trump objective truth. That's what postmodernism does and that's ultimately what we've got going on at the moment. Postmodernism coming in and saying truth is relative to whatever you want it to be. So what's off limits? What's not going to happen? Currently in Australia, Pakistan, Nepal and Canada, all passports have a third gender. There's male, female and gender X. What's off limits? All of this, to summarize, has been advertised, publicized, pushed forward as the next step forward. This is the next move. This is keeping up with the times. This is moving forward. This is the argument that's been used across the world. This is the argument that's been currently using now in the UK, in the UK. Justine Greening, the Minister for Women, Equalities and Education, is fighting to change the law so that people are free to specify their gender on their birth certificate, regardless of medical opinion, and has called this the right the, to give rights, more rights to transgender people, the next step forward after equality for women and same-sex marriage. So the question that I'd come back to all of us is this. For every, if, for every action, there has to be a reaction. You can't get away from it. There's going to be a reaction. The question is, what is the reaction going to be? And if we go back to the start, we can look over history and we can see that, well, people have incurred issues from the reactions. The sexual revolution, it affected children predominantly. Abortion affected children and fathers. Family, um, no felt divorce. Spouses that didn't want to get divorced and children. So let's project this into the future. Who's going to be affected? My sense is kids. Because that's what history's already taught us. And throughout the world, that's what history's showing as well. Who else is going to be hurt? People that have a differing opinion. How do I know throughout the world that's what's taking place currently? But the one thing that I have noticed is this, to summarize it all up is you can look through all the times in history where we've had that next step forward. And the people that have been affected have not been the people that made the decision. It's pretty rare that the people that made the decision will be the ones that deal with the consequences. It'll be the children and the grandchildren. And that's why when the sexual revolution went through, well, it wasn't really the 60s that dealt with any childless issues. It was the 70s and it was definitely now. It's in one of the very last footnotes. You can go out and, and look at the, you have, you have to find one of the footnotes, the statistics on mothers without husbands. It's insane and how much it's grown since the 60s. But it's not the generation that makes a decision that suffers. It is the generations after. So my question to summarize is the first question. If for every action there's a reaction, what's the reaction going to be? With this understanding that we get to make a choice that doesn't affect us, but affects our kids and affects our grandkids. So if we can take the past and maybe project that a little bit into the future, if we can take what's happened around most of the other countries in the world that have done it and project that onto ours, what's the reaction going to be? In two generations from now, what are the consequences going to be? And ultimately, is it worth voting for? Is it worth saying yes to? Obviously, when we have these discussions with people, if you have these discussions with people, we've got to remember that still, regardless of all those facts, if you do your research, you'll find that they are facts. 
that this still affects real people's lives and it is a tough, difficult situation, tough, difficult conversation. So like I said, I know there'll be plenty of people in here that have loved ones. They'll have siblings. They'll have uncles and aunties or, or, or children even that this issue affects. There'll be someone that you know that this debate affects and there's plenty of people that I know personally that I love that this debate affects. It's not easy. It's challenging. My encouragement to all of us as we move forward to, to look to, to when the, the postal vote gets sent out is that we deliver, are very deliberate in studying it out for ourselves and not being moved just strictly by emotions, but rather with objective truth. So my encouragement to you, church, is to study it out. Don't answer it. Don't vote on it without an educated decision. So to summarize all of that, that's basically my thoughts of projecting what's going to happen. There's going to be loss of freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Kids are going to suffer. People are going to suffer. There'll be some people that are made happy out of it, but the people, the minority, 33,714 people will be made happy. It's a small number. So if everyone would like to stand, I'd love to pray. And put this mic down. This is the single most uncomfortable message I've ever done in my life still. Right, Father. Jesus, uh, this is not an easy discussion. And God, I pray that as we do it, Father, that we're deliberate in trying to do it in, in love, God, and, and understanding that sometimes it's not going to feel like it's love either. But I pray that when we sit down and think about it and meditate on it and study it out, Father, regardless of the decision that we come to, we push out, we present our points of view with love, understanding, Father, that this affects real people, Jesus, whose emotions are really invested in this. And that's not fake and that's not, not real, Jesus, but it is real. I pray that what we can be as Christians, Father, is people that can actively love on the LGBTQI community, God. And not just say that we love them, but actually really love them, Father. I pray that you, you bring around people in that community that we can surround, that we can love on, that we can connect, not with the intention of trying to change them or convert them, but ultimately just to want to love on them, Father. And I pray that the more that we get to do that, Jesus, the more that we see lives touched by you, and ultimately, it's your touch, it's your love, it's your goodness that transforms all of us, Father. We've all got issues, every single one of us. And regardless of the, if they're the issues of the debate currently, we've all got issues. But it's your touch, it's your goodness, it's your person that transforms us. So, Father, I pray that we always take that in the forefront of our mind as we love on people. That we're not trying to change them, Father, but we're trying to introduce them to you and express your goodness to everyone, regardless of whether they're same-sex, Father, or, or they're an alcoholic or whatever it is. I pray that we're looking to express your goodness and not transform and change people ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please subscribe to hear more sermons from Epicenter Church.